Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to reviewing horror books and horror comics on my website, keithrfoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. I'm Ed Brown. I write as E. Bronson on The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda, as well as editing the Naked Eye and Warhouse in comic books. Yeah, and you're and you're you like why are you all why are you trying to be all smooth jazz DJ on us right now? That's the question. Because that's how I roll. Is it <laughs> okay? So Ed's Ed. So yes, we have a special. This is a special live in the studio. You could edition. almost say special Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a special live in the studio version. All three of us are here at my place. Um, we are well. We had some pizza. We had some beer, and we're probably gonna gonna run that back and watch a movie afterwards. Right. But we are also recording this week's episode of Making Comics, so uh, we know the deal. So Ed, why don't we start with you, man? What did you do this week? So I went through some of the scripts for issue thirteen, which is the second part of our two-part comic that's uh, coming out. And Scott is uh, sending me some pages, so I'm kind of looking at those and working on. 13 while he's doing the art on 12. So he's sending you pages. Is he sending you the pages to 12? Uh, he is sending me the pages to 12, and I'm looking at those so I can reference those while I'm going back and re-editing some of the scripts for 13. He's getting the art from issue 10. Oh, So okay. I'm actually doing uh, the art for issue 10, which is the second part. Uh, 9 and 10 is the taxidermist storyline going on in the second shift. So Ed's actually working on – he's right. He's working on the script for 13 but we've already gone over the script of 12. He sent me the script a couple of times. Like we've talked on previous episodes, um, me and him, he'll send me the initial, um, I'll give him some notes or whatever, and then he sends me back the adjusted. Either it's uh, my direct adjustments or he, he meets me somewhere in the middle or comes up with something different, but it um, it uh, uh, takes care of all of the, the requirements or things that were, were pointed out. So, okay. so yeah, but he's, but yeah, so he's getting the art from 10. Okay. How does it differ? Because I, I had mentioned on a podcast an episode two ago that once I get pencils or inks back, there's another five to 8% that's going to change. Do you agree with that percentage? Disagree? Like, what do you see? You know, you write something, but then you get the art back and all of a sudden it's looking different almost certainly that when it was in your head as you wrote it. So I think that's a good estimate as far as the ballpark goes. Usually what happens is, uh, and I know you guys have talked about this because I've listened to every single episode. Yeah. I mean, long time listener, first time caller, long time, first time. Uh, so Scott and I have talked about this and this is actually behind the, the curtain of the wizard of Oz. This story is actually years old Mm -hmm. and we just kind of reworked it as we've been able to expand our universe and add things to it. So this story actually is probably, I want to say, probably from 2016 or 17. Mm -hmm. And I sent him a script in prose, and then he looked at it, we talked about it, and then we worked on the current books. Just recently, he said, can you send me a scripted version? So I break it down, pages and panels for him, as far as like kind of giving him loose guidelines Mm -hmm. and saying like, okay, can you do this? Can you do that? And I've actually been more, uh, I don't want to say necessarily aggressive, but more forthcoming. Like I'll have things that I have, like you said, things that I have in my mind Mm -hmm. that I see and I'll make requests of him. Like, this is what I see for this uh, fight scene. Can you work this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, yeah, there was a particular scene um, uh, he had sent me, well, he sent me the whole script, but, um, he'll do little notes underneath certain areas and he'll say, I see a circular pattern for this. Um, is that something you'll be able to do? And, and I couldn't, and I was reading it and reading it and I was like trying to figure it out. I'm like, I'm not seeing it. Can you send me something just like even stick figures, like mm-hmm. roughly of what you're talking about. But he had sent me, um, what were the images? He sent me a few pages of something he had seen in another comic book. And he goes, like this, but, you know, kind of more like this. So so he gave me a visual representation of what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, and, and then he adjusted accordingly, like, yeah, this way, but, you know, like this. So sure. what was that book that you sent me? What were the pages from? So I had sent you the pages from... 
old Grendel books. Oh, by Matt Wagner. That's right. Speaking and of, and there was yeah. So it's one of my heroes mm-hmm. of, of comic book writing, of especially independent comic book writing uh, from the Comico days before even Dark Horse and stuff like that. So I just like the, I really liked the image, and I thought that it would be uh, very. I don't know, like, it, it just, for, for me, I had a picture in mind. I thought of these 12 images representing the uh, Lunar New Year and the Chinese calendar to have 12 images of these two particular characters who are rivals uh, meeting and fighting. So I just asked him, I said, this is what I'm picturing. Can you do this? And like he said, he said, send me some reference photos. So I try to give him some photos so he can work off that. Interesting. So that's old school Grendel. That's that's indie Yes, Grendel. Yes, yes. Okay. I remember reading an interview back in the day with Todd McFarlane, and he was saying they they said so. What comics do you read? You know, like like what current books are you reading? And he said, I don't read any. And they're like, What do you mean? He's like, I don't get. I I like to not get influenced by current comics. I like to get influenced by classical art or things like that. And um. While I'm while I'm not one to go that extreme, I am the kind of person that definitely likes reaching two levels back for influences, right? I mean, you can always learn something from current influences because they're synthesizing something and building it up, but it's also fun to go way back. You know, like the musical example I give is when I was working on Kadoja music, the obvious influence for Kadoja is uh, Akira Ifukube, right? Uh, who did all the a lot of the Godzilla soundtracks, at least the first 20 or, or so, maybe a, a number around there. But who did he listen to? That's who I was always interested in. It turns out he was a big Stravinsky fan. So I'm like, let's listen to Igor Stravinsky and see what he's like, right? And get influenced by that. And I think in a way, you know, I mean, you know, there's, you're definitely running a risk if you want to say, I'm going to go way back to the golden age and get influenced by that, you know, but I think it is fun to go further back, you know, to get influenced, not just by Grendel, but perhaps Grendel, you know, indie Grendel way back in the day, or go to stuff that's, you know, 30, 40 years old as an influence. Yeah, and I did the same thing. I, I mentioned a couple of times on this pod, like when I was wrestling, the last few years that I was wrestling, I stopped watching wrestling altogether because what was happening was everyone was cannibalizing each other. So you were getting a lot of the same from everybody else because they were just looking at each other to for inspiration, whereas I was watching uh, martial arts films, um, you, you know, just pretty much anything else. Uh, like you said, looking back, I wasn't watching current wrestling like everyone else was. I was watching wrestling from the 80s and the 90s, you know, and everyone's cannibalizing from the, the, the early aughts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it definitely that's that's a great point, and, and that's something that I like to do these days as opposed to just looking at current comics is look at older, like, like there's a few people there go i love reading your comics because it reminds me of 90s but like in the best possible way and it's just like yeah yeah, that was the stuff that i was reading growing up that's the stuff that's more influential to me and i'm pretty sure we've talked about it on the pod a few times is um what's the most influential time in our lives it's usually when you're about 12 to 15 Mm -hmm. and so you know i was uh in 92 i was 12 12 years old and 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 I started reading it in 1990. So it's just like those that time frame, it's like, well, what about that time frame kept me, you know, in, in into comic books? What what drew me in? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was that. For Ed, it was uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Grendel, those 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 types of books. Yeah, yeah. No, that, and when that's Ed and, Ed and I have had a few text exchanges based on the episode a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about our love for, what was the word you call street level? Street level superheroes, which I think is... If you didn't invent that phrase, it's killer. You know, if you invented it, then go go trademark it. But trademark and copyright. Everyone <laughs> owes me five cents every time you say it. Uh, just PayPal me at scottlost at yahoo.com. <laughs> Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Because I get because I get paid every time I say it. <laughs> uh, anyway, go ahead, Edward. You so more? I was gonna say uh, origin origin story for me. Uh, growing up uh, from New York, grew up in the '70s and the '80s in New York. Got into comics. Probably at five or six, getting oh, stuff man. off the spinner racks at the Optimo. Well, that's why to, it's going to make sense for you to like Daredevil, yep. Luke Cage, Iron Fist, exactly. like all New York. Exactly. Sure. So every sure. everything, and this is a whatever urban legend or whatever, but supposedly Frank Miller would look out his window when he was drawing at the Marvel or when he was at his apartment, and he would take 
whatever he saw, wherever he was at, and draw those cityscapes for Daredevil. Mm. Some huge uh, Daredevil like Miller fan, yeah. and like you talked about all those all those comics from from the eighties. Um, that was like a huge thing for me. And then uh, June twenty third, eighty nine, the day Batman, the first Batman came in with, mm. with Michael Keaton, right? The first modern Batman movie. I walked into this comic book store. There was this cat. We call him the champ in our group. Uh, he was working there. He was working as a part-time job after school. So we just started talking about comics, chopping it up. We went and saw Batman together, talking about our different influences or different books. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm into Micronauts. I'm into X-Men. I'm into you know, uh, t- this book called TMNT. And he's like, yeah, check this out. And I was like, Grendel, I've heard of that. This is cool. And I said, all right, check this book out, whatever. you know. And uh, then years later... Um, Kind of got out of the comic book scene. College girls, uh, also wrestling with, yep. with with Scott against Scott, uh, and so Scott and I had comics in common, but I wasn't doing it with anything within it at the time, because I, I was like, ah, oh, nothing can touch the Dark Knight, nothing can touch the Watchmen, nothing mm-hmm. can touch, you know, things like that. I was into snob comic snob, but I, I just wasn't for for me. I just wasn't into the. Uh, portfolios mm-hmm. with no content and i'm sure as a writer you can relate to that i like looking at pretty pictures but if there's no real sustenance to it i can't really dig it yeah and that's one of the things that as far as scott and my collaboration goes we really work a lot on uh character development and creating a universe and and uh, that's one thing i really dig yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and that was that's the one thing um that i do bypass from a lot of the 90s books is like storytelling is very important to me mm-hmm. and and you know i do uh, more day uh, more so nowadays like i do try to find like like on the artistic side you do want to find the the panel that is going to be your accent panel for that page. What what panel on that page is the most important? And that's something that like I've heard, like I've been in uh, panels with Jim Lee where he's talked about panel layout composition. So one of the major influences in the 90s was to for, for composition was blow up the most important panel on that page and make it the most interesting looking panel you can do. This this is a couple of like what happens there is for one it's very stimulating to look at you're like oh man look at that panel that panel's insane Mm -hmm. and it and and it's the one that pushes the story along the most and also um if you're thinking about it financially it's an easy page to sell Mm -hmm. if if it's a popular book like the x-men right like you can sell a page that has colossus flying at the screen and and so I think about that more so these days. It's like, okay, I think now at this point my storytelling is very strong because it's been uh, the focal point uh, of my entire comic book career. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm a good storyteller. Like Much like wrestling, storytelling was very important. So if comics, I want it to be the same thing. Now it's like, okay, I have a lot of the tools that you need to, to create comics and now I'm accenting things that I've learned over the years. And so one of those things is accenting panels. But, um, you know, like like Ed said, storytelling is very important. So that's something in our collaboration that we sure would make, you know, focus on. Yeah. Hey, Ed, are you a Sherlock Holmes fan? Just out of curiosity. I, yeah, I do like Sherlock Holmes. Okay. I've just, I am a massive Sherlock Holmes fan. Right on. Batman and Sherlock Holmes. Batman is Sherlock Holmes that For whips sure. a lot of ass. At least up until <laughs> sure. those weird Robert Downey Jr. movies where all of a sudden Sherlock Holmes whipped a lot of ass. But, you know, I mean, Sherlock Holmes was all, could always scrap, right? That's all oh, that was fun about him. Sure. But, but Sherlock Holmes, the typical Basil Rathbone, mm-hmm. tall, skinny guy who with could the hun- scrap. The, the hunter's cap. Yeah, which he never actually cap. wore. Exactly. Yeah, I was just curious because, again, I mean, Batman's origin is detective comics, right? So that, what, I, And the... I believe that was an, an answer in a lot of ways to mysteries. What's the name of the, the, the book? With Moriarty, where they both go over the falls, that story, Whew. it escapes my my memory. You're killing me, yeah. I, 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 but anyway, that's that's the one where, where Sherlock Holmes uh, he exhibits um, some martial skills. Mm-hmm. Essentially, is what happens, and and Watson is down there, and he's watching them them battle, and he knows this is like somehow in his in his being, he knows this is the last time he's going to see Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And I just did the air quotes. Uh, yeah. Going going back real quick. Something that I have that I've noticed and I've I've mentioned to Scott quite often is that when we first started, and he's said this on the podcast before, 
I was writing in just strictly a prose style and adjusting to writing comic book style. I'd never written comic books before. I've read comic books my whole life. I kind of know how they work. Marvel method, yada, yada, yada. You guys have talked about it ad nauseum. Go back and listen to the episodes. Um, I've noticed Scott taking a lot more chances, having more dynamic panels, Dutch angles, doing a lot of things mm -hmm. that were, I think they were in him, mm -hmm. but I think the more, uh, for lack of a better word, comfortable, comfortability, yeah. the more comfortable he's become with his artwork and the more confident he's become with his artwork, he's willing to take more chances and that makes our comics stronger. Yeah. I know, as a writer, and I'm sure you do as well, when your book is sitting on the shelf, the thing that is going to get the audience, the buyer, uh, you know, our clients, whoever, whatever you want to call them, the reader, to our book is going to be the cover artwork. The mm -hmm. artwork is going to be the thing that gets them to come to our book. But I think, and you've talked about writers not getting their due diligence, unless they're a Kirkman or a Frank Miller or... Mm -hmm you know, someone of that nature. Uh, our stories are what's going to bring them back. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. Not, uh, to, not to toot your own oh, horn? Oh, no. I mean, uh, well, I, I, I'll, I'll speak about it in the abstract as opposed to in the personal. But for me, um, so I, I feel like there's, there's just no way we've tabled next to each other and known each other as long as we have without me saying a version of this multiple times. With comics, I always feel that the art gets you and the writing keeps you. And, 100%. you know, the, the thing about the thing about any of this stuff, right? Like when we, we talk about movies being bad or we talk about comics being bad or we talk about something being bad. But as long as you're clearing a few reasonable barriers of quality, right, to get your book out there and be making a book that people actually care about, because if it sucked, then no one would buy it. You know, I, I think that that bad, you know, like. When, when we think of bad, we think of like a one on a scale of one to ten. Okay. But in general, I think that numbers one through four just weed themselves out anyway. So things that are bad are like a five out of ten. So I'm, I'm, I'm being a numbers nerd for a second because if, 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 you get a, if you get a book where the art is a nine, but the writing is a five, you know, which again is bad because a lot of other people are just writing really good books. So your five might as well be the worst book out there. You know what I mean? Like if it's not that good, then it might as well suck. The The thing about that is you can, I've done it. I've bought a book or two that look great because you don't want to be a dick. You don't want to go to the comic shop <laughs> and read the whole comic there. You know what I mean? Like they used to have a little placard. Do you remember? Hey uh, kid, this ain't a library. Exactly. And it's like Lobo looking at you over the a shelf tag, you know, like that kind of stuff. So, so you don't, you know, like th these people are here to make money. If you like it enough, you, you pay the one, two, three, four dollars, depending on what time in your life you bought it. And then you take it home. And then if the writing's not good, it takes a little while before you really realize like that writing isn't good. You ha you have to unpack it, you know, and, and most, most ways that people I think fall out of love with a comic or when they just stop reading a comic is you read a couple and then you say something like, it's not just, it's just not doing it for me. Right. right? Is it, is it worth the three or $4 that you just paid for it? You exactly. know, and that's, there's a, you know, there's obvious like, as grown-ups and and being raised in the comic shop, you know that rule. Yeah. You're not allowed to read the comic book. Yeah, you can exactly. flip through. You can see if the art is appealing. If the story seems cool enough, yeah. Then you pick up the book and you live or die with that three or four dollars that you paid. You either pick up the next issue or you don't. The book I think you guys were talking about is the final problem. Is yeah. that right? So what were, what were the falls called? I can't remember. It's a really famous name. Uh, uh Reckenbach Falls. Reckenbach, yes, and that's yeah. actually in the Sherlock series uh shadow i can't even remember which sherlock series the benedict cumberbatch the, the benedict cumberbatch the benedict, yeah. that was uh, yeah, which was that, actually very enjoyable a game of shadows thank you ah boom look at us we are pop culture gods just just going all over the place half-assed half internet reference <laughs> we're doing this in real time johnny on the spot asses. but uh but yeah so I, I mean that's that's the way i feel ed is is that you know, subpar writing, you subpar art or art you don't like, you can sniff that out immediately. You're just like, I don't like this. There's, this is wrong. Writing is not like that because you're not going to take the time to read the whole thing. And in a lot of cases, too, you almost have to read stuff critically. Like there's there's been plenty of times where I I, I was just finishing a book today um, 
to 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 call it out, it is the you ever uh, you ever watch the the movie Bird Box? Is that what it's called? Yes. Sandra mm-hmm. Bullock movie. Yep. So that was based on a novel by Josh Mar- Mallerman called Bird Box. There's a sequel to it that just came out about a year ago, uh, called Mallory. It's called, it's going to be called Bird Boxes. <laughs> the Birdist Box. <laughs> um, and, and, bird Cage. And this book... <laughs> Nathan, <laughs> the Bird Cage. Yeah, They're releasing it out of order. Exactly, exactly. So um, the, the weird thing about this book is, because I listen to audio, six hours in of the nine... Fucking cheater! I was gonna say cheating, cheating, cheating. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. What, what, what am I supposed to say to people that say that now? Fuck you! Is that pretty much it? There it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, fuck you! I'm sorry. What's the score, Scott? <laughs> but uh, oh, shit. was I supposed to be keeping score? Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize it. But um, what's interesting is two thirds of the way through the book, I was just in love with it because it had so many cool ideas, and the last third of the book let me down so much. And so now, what I've been doing, what I did on the drive home. What I will probably do at some point when I have some dead time is I want to analyze why. I might even buy the book because the first two thirds are sensational. It's that last third where just the wheels completely fall off. And I think it's it's a valuable thing for me to do to understand why. Because the listeners don't know this, but Scott and I did. We had about a 15 minute conversation on uh, WandaVision that we ended up cutting from the episode. And, and one of the reasons that, that I was okay cutting it from the episode was because I realized that I was making a long-winded point about something I did not like. And there's a difference between something you have to parse out why you don't like it. you know. And in this case, the reason I didn't like it turned out to be more a matter of personal preference than what, what you could do as any kind of like objective storytelling thing. And so that's what I'm going to do with this book now. It's now time for me to have that kind of critical evaluation I think this one's going to be more on, no, 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 no. Something is wrong in my eyes. This is all opinion-based. But it's going to, I think it feels, as a gut, a little more legitimate than perhaps my gripes with Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Right. Uh, yeah, and as far as comics go, it's, it's for me as an artist, on the artist's perspective, is I'll flip through a book. I'll see a cover on, on the shelf and go, hey, what's that? And... Um, uh, if the cover's strong enough to grab me, I'll flip through it. If they have a cover artist and the interiors aren't as strong, if it's not something I'm interested, I won't read it. Uh, I won't na- name the title, uh, one, because I can't remember the name of the title, but two, we don't want to do that because we're in the comics game. Um, but I didn't like the interior art, mm-hmm. and it's something Keith has told me, this is a great series. You should pick the series. I was like, oh, man, I put that back down. I didn't like the art on He goes, no, 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 it's a great series. So I'm kicking myself a little bit. I, I won't pick up a book if I don't like the art, but if you do have someone that does take a risk on it and goes, no, 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 this story is actually really good, um, it it will, you know, influence me to go, okay, well, how much, okay, I can get it for cover price still or a little bit, okay, yeah, I'll go back and take a look. So, um, yeah, just the medium itself, it's like, if the visuals don't tickle me, I won't do it, but if I have someone that I trust with a, a story, then I'll go back and, and give it a go. Yeah, and 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 to and that's that's a cool point. And in a way, it kind of illustrates the the finality of my point about um, Matt, the book Mallory, right? Which is, I've already paid for it. I've listened to the whole thing. I sense something is wrong with it, and I still can't quite unpack it. it it's it's just a little bit harder to unpack than art. You know what I mean? Like you can look at art and, and to your point though, there there's obviously you could do an analysis on like, why is this art wrong? But I think sight is something, you know, it's a little less, it's, it's, it's a long form problem that I'm trying to figure out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. But this is why I like having writers on because uh, honestly, I thought you would know because, and this is something I've talked to uh, Travis and the accidental aliens about is like, Hey, I like, you know, for instance, he'll, he'll talk about rogue one, mm-hmm. right? He does not like Rogue One, mm-hmm. and and um, um, it's something about the format and and how it's uh, written or something like that. And I go, well, it's my brother's favorite movie, and and he's old, so mm-hmm. like he said, this is my favorite Star Wars movie, and, mm-hmm. and so he he was a teenager when those movies were coming I'm out. I'm also a fan of it. Yeah, yeah. and and so yeah. and he goes, well, this isn't the writing and this and that. I'm like Travis, but you need to understand, majority of the people watching this shit aren't writers. Yeah. So the fact that you it doesn't follow this format that you were told about it doesn't matter yeah like how does it hit people that's yeah. what really matters and that's something i've talked about in previous episodes as well about fucking with the formula yeah. like the formula of art and writing these these were laid out 
by by people over a long period of time like hey this is why this works and everyone goes yeah i agree that's why that works Mm -hmm. but after you understand it when can you start fucking with it like once you get it in your mind to a certain degree you should be able to bend that format to your will so the fact that this movie hit in a different way, but it didn't follow your format, your your so-called format. It, it did something different, and you didn't like that it didn't follow the format that you knew in your brain. Yeah. But it hit other people like this. Sure. You know, like that's that's really what's important. Yeah. I think. And, and and I guess to bring it back to the book one last time too, to answer your question, I have a strong idea what I think is wrong with the book, but I want to give the author the benefit of the doubt. You know, and, and that's that's something that I'm just trying to do more and more instead of just saying this, this and this. OK, we'll think it through. Right. And I, I, I had a version of this. There was a much longer version of this in our um, podcast with Gary where we were talking about Godzilla. Something I think about it. I don't I don't know if you think about it a lot is when I, when I get done with something, what questions am I asking? And then the second thing is, are those questions that I think the writer wants me to ask. And I think those, the combination of those two is where you get interesting stuff. Because if I'm asking a question, but I think the writer wants me to ask it, in other words, they left it open-ended on purpose, that matters. If I'm asking a question, however, that feels maybe unintended by the writer, the writer may have messed up. You know what I mean? So that's that's the thing that I'm trying to delineate here. And again, I, I hope that makes sense. So I have some questions for the both of you yeah so we're talking about what works and what doesn't work delineating from the uh the right way to write i guess Mm -hmm. or or make a story so is everything a three-act story shakespearean story or does every story have to be the joseph campbell hero journey story so what do you guys think about that you want to go first? I have a, I have a, an answer, but I'd like you to go. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, that lines up with what I was just talking about. It's like, once you understand the three-act format, um, you know, for me and Ed, in our case, it was like the seven steps of wrestling, like mm-hmm. putting a match together, <laughs> the psychology of a wrestling match. Once you understand the psychology of a wrestling match, you should be able to bend that shit to your will. You should be able to, and that's what I was doing my last couple of years was like, hey, I'm not going to do this right here. I'm going to do it over here. But it makes sense because of this reason and this reason. King of the jump starts. Right. Yeah. The last year of his career. Last year of my career, I started every single match with a jump start. I would attack my opponent from the very beginning Mm -hmm. because it, it, number one, establishes that I'm the bad guy right away mm-hmm. we get into the thick of the action we we bypass the hold to hold like jockeying for position it's mm-hmm. like no no bitch i'm the best no yeah scientific wrestling Hagler well the yeah. thing is it, it yeah <laughs> wow awesome the, the thing is it, it it establishes right away those those steps and also depending how good my opponent is is how quickly he goes no no i'm the best and yeah. he flips it around and whatever so you you start you establish steps, but you establish them way faster. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I, w- I would skip steps completely. And I go, no, no, we're just going to go straight to this because they understand the rest. You don't mm-hmm. need the three act when people know that guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, uh, you've done the work. Yeah. Right. You've, exactly. done, you, you've done the work in 10 seconds or five it, seconds. Exactly. Yeah. And um, um, so for me, I love that aspect. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the quickest way we can get to the finish line? You know, mm-hmm. what What are the things that I find monotonous and boring that I can deal with right away? Yeah. And so, and, and this is, like you said, this is a callback to our Godzilla uh, rankings. It's like, I loved King of Monsters. And you guys were like, no, that one sucks. And I'm like, no, no, it's the best. Yeah. Because he goes, Godzilla says, no, fuck you. I'm the fucking best. <laughs> exactly. Right? So, like, I was like, yeah, this is my jam. It's my speed. So, exactly. um, to, to Ed's question... Uh, once once you have that format down, I don't think it's necessary to always have to follow that, especially where you are in your story, what story you're telling. You can delineate from that format. Yeah. And, and I, so that's basically my answer, right? My, my version of that answer is I think an understanding, it all begins with an understanding of a three-act structure. But I don't, I don't think you need to adhere to it. Sure. Yeah, there are no rules, you know, but, but you, you know, you, you can do stuff. You just have to make sure it actually works. I personally, 
have never obsessed over what the turning point in my acts are with any story I've ever done. I just kind of go, it's, it's much like the way I play guitar. I can't read music. Um, I barely even know tablature, but I just play stuff until I think it sounds good. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's how it works. And that's the way I write. That's too. I just... called having a soul. <laughs> I can't read. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, so no, that's for, for me, that's, that's what it is, right? It's, it's just whatever feels natural and feels right is the thing I'm going to go with. Cause I guess I'm trusting the instincts I've built that I may not even understand that well, but are, but that are buried somewhere. And then instead of having a straightforward approach, you can do things like flash forward, flashbacks, right? Mm -hmm. You can do all that misdirection. Yep. You know, things that are important when you're developing a character and when you're developing a world and a continuity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I share, I'm going to share a random thought. There's this, there's almost no way. This is a safe space. This is a safe space. There's, there's almost no way this ever comes out. Where did they touch you? (laughs) That is on the the Godzilla doll. Show us on the Boba Fett. This is the second time we've said that. Um, First time on the air. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> okay. first time we've gone on the air. Okay, good, good. Um, so I, I think we were talking, my wife and I were talking on our way out of the Godzilla film. And and I was giving a version of what I said on the podcast, which is, I, I'm not, I said, look, it's not like I'm expecting to go into a Godzilla film and get Tenet by Christopher Nolan. And her thing was, well, we had a thought at the same time. Her thing was, you mean like Godzilla's not going in slow motion backwards and then in forwards again? If you've ever, have you seen Tenet? I have not. Uh, fucking insane. Have you seen it? I have not. It's fucking insane. I, I love it. It, it. I'm not sure it makes sense at all, but it, I also love it. But you enjoyed it. It's, it's almost so convoluted. I can't tell. It's so convoluted. I can't tell whether it's smart or idiotic. I think I have to watch it six times just to figure it out, which is very Christopher Nolan. Right, yeah, I was going to say. What yeah. was the movie before that? Um, uh, Dunkirk was the one before it, but my favorite is before. Inception. Inception, there yes. you go. That's another one that's like, yeah, that's like the thinker piece. You're like, Dude, okay, what the fuck is really happening right that now? That is one of my favorite films. I love Inception because it, of the Visually, confusion. it was amazing oh, it's to so look at. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's stunning. The, a masterpiece <laughs> of cinematography. A masterpiece, dot, dot, dot. Up now, when you were talking about playing with structure, another Christopher Nolan film I love, Memento. Memento. I was going to say Memento. Told, told forward in backward stairs. It's basically like a backward staircase. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy, that that type of design. And so, you know, I, I think that's, that's the type of stuff I personally put in my file away for later category because writing your first novel is hard even if it's the most simple story. And I think comics are like that too. Like like your example, right? Scott, don't start with a five-part arc. Yep. Just start with one story. Start with a few pages. Start with something, you know, you, you have to build up your own confidence in that. And so the writing that I'm doing right now is building up that confidence, but I am filing away stuff for later that like, okay, when you, when you feel you've moved up a couple weight classes... Maybe you take on something a little bit more ambitious. Much above your weight, kid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that, that's um, something uh, we've obviously talked about. Like after the five-part story arc, Ed knows. I was like, hey, man, we need to do one and dones because that was a large part of my life for quite a few years. So we need to do some one and dones. And after a few of them, I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm done with that. We can move up. We can do two-parters or whatever. And, you know, here we are. We're ready to tackle another a four to five part story arc. So yeah, uh, yeah, definitely don't punch above your weight and uh, take take it easy on the first couple rounds. Yeah, yeah. What, what else did you, What else did you do this week? Uh, what I did, um, I finished a, a page uh, for the latest issue of Second Shift, Second Shift Ten. Gorgeous. I sent it over Ed's way. Um, I really do. Like I've mentioned previously, I feel like I've said that a lot this episode. Um, I I feel like I'm jumping up some weight classes as well. Uh, art wise so i'm really happy with what i'm producing and uh, i got some pages back i think i've talked about it uh i had hired an artist to cover artist do alternate cover mm. and a very mike mignola style yeah that and guy. He, yeah oh i'll set i'll show him to you um after the pod or if ed could pull him up on his phone uh which he does not have i i got the, the studio man <laughs> i got the finish exactly. i got the finished piece back from him and oh that's awesome yeah it's 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 dope what's that going to be the cover to uh second shift 10 and it is going to be it's either going to be the kickstarter exclusive cover or one of the two exclusive covers so i do one that's kind of like um a base level price for for it's the standard cover and then you have the kickstarter exclusive and then you have like 
the special edition exclusive. Yeah. And so it's going to be one of the two, but I'm, I'm really happy with it. It's very Mike Mignola, um, kind of like a simplistic line with spotting a lot of blacks. Yep. And um, yeah, it, it's beautiful. So I got that back. It's also going to be Keith's cover because that's the one that I'm going to get when the Kickstarter. All right. That's out. what I like yeah, to hear. Completely. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I finished that long-standing commission I've talked about over previous episodes. This uh, mermaid commission I've been putting off. I finished it. He approved it. And uh, I said, hey, I can do gray tones on it if you'd like, or I can color it for X amount. And he goes, let's color it. And so I sent that off to my colorist. So it's just like, all right, well, my colorist is going to color that and I'm not going to do it. Exactly. Um, and you're, you don't want me to do any more fucking scales, do you? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, so that's in the final stages. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm back on the grind for the other uh, commissions. I've had a couple that I've been putting off, but I'm ready for them now. I'm, I'm seven pages away, hopping back to sec- second shift 10. I only have uh, uh, seven pages left, okay. so it's it's about grinding those out. Unfortunately, they're the hardest pages of the issue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sometimes the slack method doesn't quite knock out the hard pages first. Though. Exactly. Like when the inspiration hits you for the hard the hard pages in the middle of the process, yeah. that's when the slack pa- uh, method is the best. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for this whole issue, the slack method is like, no, you're going to do the easy stuff today. Yeah. You know, so that's that's in the I guess it's still in quarantine brain. It's like, no, no, easy stuff, easy stuff. Yeah, baby stuff. I can't yeah. handle too too many hard difficult things. How about I, you? What did you what did you do this week? Yeah, so for me it was very it was very business administration kind of week. Um, I, I made a list of the couple things. A lot of it is around the work being done on Kadoja Volume 3. Um, I spent some time working on... So uh, the way... I, I think I think I've mentioned this before. Um, the submission due date is Monday, I think. Maybe Tuesday. For Diamond's June catalog. So we are taping this in early April. And the catalog that comes out in late May slash most of June, I believe. I believe that's how it works, or late June, most of July. Anyway, we're about two months in advance generally. Um, I, I have to hit that deadline. Okay. So uh, I wrote the blurb uh, with Mike's help for Kadoja Volume 3. So the Kickstarter's already funded. Now it's time to get the Diamond version of the book in. So I, I screen capped the, um, I sent Mike a, a picture of what that cover is for the for the retailer trade right which is not either of the two kickstarter trades those are exclusive both lances and the base the base exclusive one um so i did some of that um what else did i do i uh i oh i i um i'm working on the cover for i found a cover artist for the fourth issue of the arc because we're printing up a a short print run of the issues themselves it's going to be based off some pencils that will did for the final um issue they they look cool and we're going to turn that into hopefully a really cool cover i worked with the i found a cover artist i worked with the cover artist and i just sent him the files um this afternoon actually um i ordered some bonus stickers so some some backers uh thanks to you you hooked me up with some great deals on stickers and i will show you the designs to them because they came out really cool and uh, I also I also treated I also treated myself to something. I, it's more treating the backers, I think. But I thought it was a really cool thing to do. I ordered custom packaging tape with oh, Kadoja wow. on nice. it. So uh, anybody who gets a Kickstarter is going to have some really slick Kadoja tape that's going to bind their box. I just thought that was a really cool thing to do. Diversify. You know? Yeah, dude, it's just cool. fun. It's just fun. You know. Um, and what else did I do? Uh, oh, I got the I got the reference pictures for the backer that that is in the comic. Uh, we did oh, a tier really? called the Servant of Madness, where he shows up in the end. So I got those pictures, um, and he was great. He took a bunch of them, and I forwarded them along to Will. So now I'm just going to wait to see what Will does with them and gets that gets him in the book. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, you, that was a great idea for the exclusive backer cover. Mm-hmm. And so I've been talking, one of the thing, a, a thing I didn't mention, um, and Ed knows him, uh, one of our buddies is graphic designer, uh, Mike Mondragon. And I've talked to him about coming on for the, uh, uh cover design or the layout of the hardcover. Mm. And so that's what I want to do. I actually want to have a, uh, um, the, the paperback like oh shoot what is that um 
what is it? You what want a gatefold it? cover? That no. N- uh, um, okay, so like when you get a hard cover, but you have like the... Oh, the jacket on the outside. Jacket, yeah. yeah. So the, the I'm going to do a Kickstarter exclusive jacket. Oh, okay. So it's just like, okay, I, financially, I can't justify doing two hard covers, two different yeah. hard covers, but I can order the hard cover and there'll be an exclusive Kickstarter version of that. Yeah. Dust jacket, thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so um, I've been thinking about that. And uh, our buddy Mike, he's a long, long-standing graphic designer. And I just want to make sure, like, I have some ideas for the hardcover. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, his whole job. He's been yeah. doing it for, like, what, 25 years or something like that's that? That's awesome. At least, yeah. And and so and it's he's, and he's young and only uh, thirty so yeah five yeah exactly he's about thirty five yeah yeah nice, nice yeah so that's so I've I've talked to him already about it we're gonna get on a conference call to see uh, my like what I'm thinking already I told him I have a lot of ideas already mm-hmm. but I would love someone else's yeah. just to like for one confirm what I'm saying is cool mm-hmm. and like if it's not then tell me what you think might be cool yeah. and maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle you know and just brand new fresh ideas that he might have as someone that's not in the comic book game specifically but just the graphic design game it's like okay yeah. you're looking at different things that I'm not there's certain things that I love in hardcovers mm-hmm. and and I want to implement those things but what are you seeing in your field that's something that we're not doing yeah. so uh, we're going to get on conference call pretty soon um you know hopefully within the next week or two oh, yeah. but we got some time because it's like i want to finish issue 10 yeah do a kickstart like a mini kickstarter for that you know yep. a 300 dollar yep. uh situation get that out there but then also i want to i want to say by march of next year i want to have that thing ready to launch i thought like, i thought you were gonna say you have one have volume two ready because you got to do a trade for that. Well, okay, and then so, you got to do the the omnibus for the first eleven. Well, right? okay, so I kind of want to do a combo package situation. I want to do in March. I want to do a Kickstarter for the volume two, and if it reaches X amount of dollars, it automatically switches over to hardcover. Okay. So, like, let's say, I'm I'm just pick a number right now, and it's not the definite number. Let's say twenty bucks gets you the second volume. Mm-hmm. If we hit a ten thousand dollar threshold, mm-hmm. or or maybe eight or whatever, I gotta right. I gotta shop around. Whatever that number is that hits the the hardcover, for five dollars more, you can get it hardcover of one through eleven. Mm-hmm. So who's not gonna do the extra five bucks or whatever to get the hardcover, and you get double the content? Yeah, I although I would argue that you you pro, I'll devil's advocate this a little bit, in that I think somebody out there who has the first volume in trade might want the second volume in yeah, trade and that's the okay. same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you you no, don't want to do, I have the first five and now I have the first 11. You know, like right. the first five, the second five, the third five. A- absolutely. So so I have thought of that, but I can always do a minimum print run of the second volume. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if, if the number, the second volume number is greater than what the hardcover is going to be, um, well, if I hit that number, then it's a done deal. It's like, yeah. well, when I hit this number, the hard covers are coming regardless. Yeah. So, but if there is a certain percentage of the population that does have volume one and just likes likes the trades, no mm-hmm. big deal. I don't want to spend the extra five bucks. We'll still print yours out. You'll yep. still have yours. Yep. But we're going to have the hard covers for everyone else. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I had one more thing, which was really more about some logistics stuff that I did in that... Um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was working on the soundtrack to volume three for Kadoja and that Chris, the bassist, had given me the tracks back. Um, I'm not going to get too music nerd on this, but there was an issue with the tracks. And uh, so so for you, for you music nerds out there, what happened was the bassist, when he opened up the tracks, some of these softwares like Ableton, which I'm recording this podcast on right now, they will automatically try to assign a time signature to your stuff. And, and if you stay locked to that time signature, it can make things sound very choppy. So without realizing it, when he opened all those things, it auto-created time signatures, and then he recorded to that computer-created time signature instead of this, which is basically just you're running the tape. And so when he gave me the tracks back, I loaded them back, and they were wonky, and I had to play with them, and I'm like, hey, can you just do me a favor and just check the... the the time the auto you know time signature thing he was like oh look at that yeah that's what happened so i actually did about half of them but he was like no 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 i'm just gonna go ahead and re-record all the bass i'll do it right and i'll send it to you and actually i got a text an hour ago that he said they're done 
So uh, once we're done hanging out, then you know, then we'll then I'll check them out. But they it can wait a day or two, that's for sure. But I'm excited because uh, now I'll just get to drop them right in, and then I will get to continue doing all the track seasoning that I'm going to do. I'm going to put keyboards. I'm also going to put guitars where uh, appropriate, and then we'll go from there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's nice to have all this stuff slowly coming along, right? I mean, this is we've said this, man. Kickstarters are projects. And uh, and the more the cool the more cool stuff you want to do, that's one extra lane of work that you're signing yourself or up for just to coordinate it, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so it's always nice when those things start to draw closer and closer, and every little box you check of getting stuff done feels great. Wild sidebar. Yeah, it's amazing how you're in one spot, the rest of the guys in your band are in another spot, and you guys are able to make an album. Yeah. It's no longer you know, like you guys are in a studio doing the session. You guys are all together listening to the levels. You've got a producer yeah. doing this or whatever. And in, in pretty much the entirety of our collaborative process, Scott and I have been shooting emails and texts back to each other. You know, he lives in San Diego. I love to live, up, live up here in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And everything is, is done via text or via email. And we've been able to make, you know, 10 books. Yeah. Or t- technically 12 and whatever in the anthology, right? Yeah, so, exactly. I it's mean, it's wild. it's wild, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a different time. There's no Marvel bullpen or we're not sitting in a studio with each other and he's drawing while I'm writing and looking over his shoulder or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, and and what's wild too is I, I, heard, a, I heard a stat one time that said 90% of all songs you hear are done by Gmail, <laughs> basically. Oh. You know, or, or done, you know, the obviously not by Gmail, but you get the point. And that was before the coronavirus. So, like, even if even if everybody was doing stuff Marvel bullpen style, you wouldn't have done it this last year, and we would have gotten here anyway. So it is pretty wild that all this stuff gets done. I mean, even when you think about this, is the, I mean, this is one of the few times we've been in the same room recording a podcast. You know, yep. most other times it, it just, we're I'm on my end, you're on your end, technology, yay. And it is worth, it is pretty amazing when you think about it. God knows I say enough bad things about technology. You know, it's, it's good to recognize the good ones too. Yeah. And that, and there's a, there's a good and the bad with everything really. It's like when you're working in a studio, I'm sure there's some stuff where you're vibing off each other and you just start riffing and, and doing your own thing. And that can be said for artistically, you know, like creating in the same space. Mm -hmm. Um, But also uh, doing it in your own space, there's other benefits to that, you know. So it's, it's it's a give and take. It's like me working traditionally versus digitally. It's like, yeah, there's a give and go. Like some, some things traditionally would have been better. Maybe the line might be a little more lively. Um, but digitally it's like, okay, things are just quicker and, and I get to mess with format a little more is where, you know what, that composition is just going to have to do because yeah. I can't move it, you know, yeah. but, but if you're doing digitally, it's like, Hey, I can move that guy over. It's not well, a big deal. Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And did you have anything else, man? We, it looks like we're, we're doing pretty good at the time and we might wrap this up. What else you got? Uh, I'm good. I mean, yeah. You want to call it or what? <laughs> you tell me, man, you got anything else? I, I, I'm always down to chop it up with you guys. So. <laughs> Um, no, I, I'm, that's it. I think I got everything. Yeah. Um, well, we'll keep on chopping it up. We just won't have the mics on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you guys watch the Invincible cartoon? Yeah, I know Ed's watched the Invincible cartoon. I have not, but I, I read a good article on it. But. And, and you'd read a great article if you just follow my social media. I've been claiming uh, the greatness that is Invincible. So uh, if you're not following me on social media, make sure you do that. But uh, watch Invincible. It's on Amazon Prime, Amazon Video. It's one of my favorite comic books of all time. It's very influential in my work. Uh, you know, besides '90s comics, I love Invincible and, and major influence. So, so you guys give that a watch. Saturday morning cartoon, not for kids. Nice, <laughs> nice. And speaking of social media, did you even shout out your handle just now? Uh, e Bronson at the IG and the Twitters. Okay. Not really active, but if you put something on there or send a request, I, you know, you, you might just. Respond. I usually all all my social is usually done through Scott because I really don't have the time or the energy for he's, social. He's the mouthpiece. that rabbit hole. That rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. I can't get with it. It, it. You can you can definitely fall down it. That's for sure. So for me, it's uh, Keith underscore decibel. That is Keith doing things, and then there is Kadoja Kaiju, which is Kadoja stuff. Um, so yeah, there's that's I, that's my two social media handles. Generally on Instagram is where I'm most active. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram S C O T T L O S T at Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep, and then when it comes to 
the website. It's keitharfoster.com. There is a Kadoja page there. And for those of you that are uh, just to get a heads up there, if you missed out on the Kadoja Volume 3 Kickstarter, then it's going to be in your local comic shop in a few months. And as long as you're listening to this podcast, you'll have a really good idea when that's going to be. So keep an eye out. Again, it's the comic store cover, not the Kickstarter exclusive cover, but uh, it's still pretty cool in its own right. And it's a chance to get the story if you missed out on the Kickstarter. And you can find mine and Ed's books on AccidentalAlien.com. Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night. And Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, all on AccidentalAliens.com. And go to MakingComicsPodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Let us know uh, if we haven't covered something you want to hear or you have some questions that we haven't answered. Uh, shoot us an email over there, makingcomicspodcast at yeah. gmail.com. So thanks for hanging out, Ed. This is cool, man. All right, brother. Next week. Yay, yay. We are live in the field again. Um, it turns out Scott and I just cannot get enough hanging out and buying comics in places. And this time we are, uh, Scott came up to visit, which you know you, you know as a result of the podcast with Ed. Um, and now we're here in Chatsworth, California, which is a good solid hour 15 uh, without traffic from my house in Los Angeles. And we are at a shop called Spiro's Heroes. So why don't you talk a little bit about it? You found it, man. Yeah, uh, so I, I have my YouTube show, um, my YouTube channel, and I had a guy comment, uh, comments on there, Big Elbow, shout out. Uh, he recommended this place because I was talking about dollar comics that uh, we usually peruse in SoCal Comics, and he had mentioned this spot, and uh, I had mentioned it to you in passing, and you looked it up and said it was an hour past you. Mm-hmm. So we came up with this idea that I would come up uh, we could do, uh, you know, some some grill them all, some beers, and then the next day tackle the comic shop. So that's exactly what we're doing. Keith great, graciously drove the rest of the way up here since I came up from San Diego. So it works out really well. And uh, so we're, we're here for the, the dollar comics and we're seeing what they got. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, one, and one slight thing is that we ended up changing our schedule around a little bit because this is really the first agenda item of the day. Grill them all is later. And uh, I don't know about you, but I mentioned maybe after some comics, we try to to mirror the society in, uh, a vibe and find a place where we can grab some beers around here. Yeah. Because there's a microbrewery everywhere. And I imagine we can probably find a pretty nice place to throw down some beers after. So one quick question for you. What comic, if you find in here at a good price, is the comic that like makes you lose your shit? What, what's the one where you're like, man, I hope I find this comic in here? Well, I, I'm looking specifically for two titles uh invincible i only have 20 issues left that i need to pick up to complete that run and a lot of them are they should be dollar comics to be honest they're they're later issues it's just uh you know i found some at socal some other spots and so it's just a matter of filling in those gaps and the other title is savage dragon savage dragon is a title that not a lot of people uh, uh pick up like they have a lot of low print runs, so I'm hoping I can get lucky and find some issues of that that title. So that, yeah, those are the two majors that I'm looking for. Nice, nice. I think for me, I'm uh, on the cheap side. Um, I still have plenty of Batman Legends of the Dark Knight I can look at. That was one thing I looked up, and then I can't even remember the name of the title, but I did write it in my want list. There's that book that I think I sent you a picture of a while ago. It was like something about hillbilly. Um, and it's it's hillbilly curse of like the red eyed devil or something like that. Oh. And it's a book that uh, Simone de Mayo uh, did some art on way back in the day. So kind of pre we only find them. Maybe I didn't tell you about this. No, you did not. But yeah, that was like it was some indie shit that I found in the second shop in Chicago uh, slash Wisconsin. And uh, so we'll see. I, and I have a, I have a nice little list now because you know hanging out with Scott has increased my comic intake and increased my want list somehow. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's and I will be. Uh, consulting my very large list to see what I can knock out there, uh, whatever I can find. And 
if you find doubles of that title that you just talked about, I, I want them. Rock and roll. I, I want to get the doubles because, you know, roll. Simone DeMaio is my jam. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's get it. All right. So we are a couple minutes in to our digging here. And uh, my God, there is so much shit here. There is an entire room of 50 cent books, which if you follow our us on social media, you've known about for a couple weeks. But uh, I just wanted to take a quick recording to say that like this is, you know, I've mentioned before how I've moved away from record stores and really moved toward comic stores. And this exact feeling is how I used to associate record stores with, right? Which is my rule is never, you should never go to a record store looking for a specific record. You should go to a record store looking to be inspired. You know, you should go to a record store allowing that record store to speak to you. And that is exactly how I feel about this. These are books that I, a lot of these books are books I didn't even know exist. And these are from every publisher you can possibly think of. So it's really fun to just start to get into this and, and just, you know, let the store speak to us and let us try a whole bunch of things, which we are definitely going to do considering the pricing that is going on here. So anyway, um, do you want to say anything or are you still, you're just, Scott's busy digging through image. So I'm not even going to interrupt his, his, uh, his flow. So stores like this, it makes me think back to like Comic Con past where you can just sit there on the floor of a booth and just go through quarter bins back in the day yeah. and just uh, just take it all and take your time, especially if you're, you know, you're going solo for the day or the whole convention, whatever the case. Um, you can just sit there and just take it all in, take your time. And that's that's exactly what this feels like. It's yeah. like you don't know what you're going to end up with, no, you know, exactly. like there's something something cool about all the books being random like in random spots like obviously it, for me since i'm looking for particular titles it obviously would be cooler if it was in alphabetical order and everything yeah, but yeah. at the same time i'm going to find stuff that i wasn't even didn't know i was looking for yeah. uh by by doing this style so so this is so far so good man this, I'm, this I'm, I'm amazing i mean i could walk out right now a few minutes in and feel good about myself and we have been here no more than 10 minutes yep exactly you know and who knows I, I, i'm sure at some point we're gonna probably have some fatigue but uh but right so now. far so far yeah so far we don't have that Seven hours later, we join our heroes back at the podcast studio, tired, full of beer, full of burgers, and with a long box of comics that we have split. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. There was the $55 short short box or the $100 long box, and we uh, definitely hit that $50 per per uh, marker, and we got the long box. Where I'm pretty happy with what I picked up. You're pretty happy? I am. I am. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this in the store. It's it's pretty limited. And I was speaking through a mask. So the audio, I think, comes a little muffled in some of the spots. But this was very much like an old school record experience to me. And, and you know, we've had a few conversations afterwards. We, we dug in the store for three hours. Then we, we I put a limit on it because I was just like, dude, I, th I think we're both fading. We're both sort of hitting a wall. Three hours is about the, about the right amount of time, and we were we were both starting to flag a little. Yeah. Um, then we got some beers and we talked, and then we drove halfway there, got Grill 'em All and some beers and talked, which was just goddamn delicious. Mm -hmm. uh, that was so good. And then and now we're back, but um, we were talking a little bit. I was mentioning that you, well, you were saying at a couple of our conversations that you were sort of disappointed that you got so little on your want list. Right. Yeah. And, and I think what's what's interesting to me about that is, and I think that's why Spiro's Heroes was a bit of a different experience than most, is that a lot of these comics are older. And I mean, this was the room. It's a, I'll see if I can put that uh, picture up as part of this episode maybe somehow. But like, it's a room full of 50 cent comics. And then obviously they get even cheaper than that if you get a long box or a full box. It's pretty crazy. But, you know, you found maybe eight items on your list of hundreds. I, I have a much easier list to fulfill. So I actually found a heart, one that was a, just bugging me, uh, Batman Legend of the Dark Knight number seven, which I'm happy I found, and a bunch of other stuff. But so much of it was just the way that I remember record stores being. You walk in, and I said this already in the store, you get inspired. And then you just go with whatever's cool. 
so for me, I'm thrilled because there's a half a long box here of just inspiration of ideas, cool art. You just don't know how you're going to synthesize that. And who knows how much of even it I'm even going to read. But I'm going to enjoy flipping through it and just kind of seeing what works for me and going from there. I don't know if I'm going to read a lot of this hardcore, but it'll always be there. Yeah. And, and a lot of the books were in not great condition. So if you're going there thinking you're going to fill out your run and, uh, you know, be happy with the conditions of your book, this is not the spot for you. Like Keith said, if you're looking for some inspiration, maybe just to read something you've never seen before or even heard of, uh, this is a good spot for you. If you're looking for uh, particular artists, honestly, there was a lot of good art in there. And I was flipping through titles I'd never heard of, but I really enjoyed the art. It was just so different that I was picking it up. You know, like he said, it starts off at 50 cents, but really when you fill up a long box, you're probably looking more at like 30 cents to a quarter. Yeah. So at that price point, it doesn't hurt to try one issue of a series that maybe issue three or four, you know, you don't have the other, other, uh, you know, one and two to clue you in on the story exactly. But just looking at the art alone, it's it's just so nice and, and re- it can be very refreshing. Yeah. I mean, again, it was it was so great to just go through that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm beat and I, I think you are too. It's just there's a certain kind of exhaustion that you get. It's hard to explain. It's like it's the kind of beat that I get when I've had a busy day at work, the day job, where your brain has been occupied. And, you know, my brain was occupied. A great example is I got a pretty, pretty nice run. I decided to cut off myself at around issue 44, which was the end of one of the stories. But I had had on my want list DMZ as something to get on on the Vertigo line. And I ended up getting probably 70% of the books before issue 44. I don't I don't have them all. Um, But and there were so many DMZ books there. But duplicates, triplicates, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So your brain, if, if you're definitely trying to put together a run, your brain's going to be very occupied doing all that stuff. Yeah, more more often than not, it's not fully organized. Sometimes you'll get a nice clump, like there are a few boxes like, oh, this is a Wildstorm box or this is a uh, Extreme Studios box. But more often than not, you're going to be going through the whole room uh, trying to piece these these runs together. And there, there seriously doesn't seem to be much of a rhyme or reason. They do have it separated between companies. So you have your image, DC, Marvel, Boom, IDW. And so so they have it separated in that sense. But image is kind of all over the room. I didn't, man, I went through two different sections. And there was a whole other section I didn't even get through. And uh, Keith had jumped from a few different studios where I was just, well, I'm looking for Savage Dragon and Invincible. And I found... I think six issues of Savage Dragon, maybe eight total, but three of them were a separate series. It wasn't even the main series. I found the dollar issue of Invincible number one, the reprint, but that was it. There was nothing else. And uh, uh, Keith touched on it briefly. Places like this, it's a place for you to get inspired. Like, you you let the comic store take you. It's not like you go to a, your normal shop. You know where everything is. You know how it's organized. And you know what you're looking for. Here, it's like, d- don't come in with a list like mine because you're you're more than likely going to get disappointed by not finding those books. I was bummed, to be honest with you, initially because I did find, like I said, six six issues of the main run of Savage Dragon, and that was kind of my major goal. And so I didn't hit that goal, but I still picked up a ton. I picked up a half of a long box full of uh, beautiful looking books and and different artists. So it's like, you know, you got to find the the satisfaction in that as opposed to the issues you're missing out on from your your list that you're looking for. It's very alien for what we expect from comic stores. Comic stores are I got a list. I'm going to my sections. I'm going to look through stuff as opposed to really. and, And, you know, the thing about most dollar sections, dollar bins and comic shops is they tend to be really well organized. So you lose a lot of that dig factor. And to your point, you know, DMZ, there were DMZ books in at least nine, if not 10 of the 20 Vertigo boxes. Hmm. So, you know, you're looking, you're looking. And there were, you know, there were at least a dozen Dark Horse boxes. There were at least 35 image long boxes full of stuff, right? Like it, it is, it is an enormous place to look, but you do really have to open up your mind and just let the store speak to you. Never, never bring a want list into a record store. You let that store speak to you. Yeah, and and uh, something I mentioned to Keith in the shop was, 
if it was more organized, I wouldn't have found half of the books that I ended up walking away with because I wasn't looking for them. So if I was strictly looking for Invincible and Savage Dragon, I was going to look under the I's and I was going to look under the S's and that's probably about it. Like I go to SoCal Comics every week and I don't look through all of their... I don't go just start on the A's and just start going. That's not something a sane person does. (laughs) So, but, um, But with the way this store is organized, it forces you experiments a little more you take more chances on books when it's not organized and it's not important for them to have a turnaround time like he said we were there for three hours and so it didn't matter to them if we were taking up space it's not like they were super crowded or anything yeah but man there was so much stuff to look through so it really allowed us to take our time and go through these boxes and really experience the store yeah, and I mean, the interesting thing about the audio that we recorded is we recorded one thing about seven minutes in. We recorded another thing like 10 minutes in. We barely spoke for the next two, right? And then I remember telling you, like, do you know we've been in this store for two hours? You know, like that that intermediate hour and 45 just flew by. Yeah. And again, so interesting. And I got to give you some props, man. I mean, a good chunk of these books are books that you just said, I think Keith would like this, right? So it turns out that I have a, a, a type in terms of comics I like. I like definite art styles. I like the weirder stuff, right? Sketchier, wilder, um, that kind of thing. And uh, and Scott just stacked up books for me to look through. And I'd say I, I ended up going with 60% of them maybe, maybe a little bit more. Nice. Would have been a higher percentage if you threw out throw out duplicates, actually. So it's more like three quarters of the books you put down were like dead ringers for like, dude, this is cool. If you see any more of these, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's some very interesting styles, like styles that I don't normally look at. I was like, you know, for a quarter, I'm going to give this a shot. It's not a big deal to grab it. And so uh, I was really I was really happy with, with the day. Um, just I'm going to go through this stuff. Like Keith said, I don't know that I'm going to read a large majority. I'll probably read half of it. Um, I did grab some runs. Like I was finding some runs and random boxes and piece milling stuff together. And she's like, oh, I'm only missing one or two issues. This, that's not bad. So I picked them up and it's like, okay, well I'll just read what's here. And if, if I stop by SoCal and they happen to have those issues, maybe I'll buy, maybe I'll buy them. Maybe I won't, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think that was about it, man. I mean, we had, we had killer burgers. We had some, some good beer and some not so good beer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Hey, the good beer, I ended up buying a bottle to take home, right? So, yeah. so you know, the good news is the good stuff was good. And the stuff we were a little less pleased with, well, you, you finish it and you move on. Yeah. Four ounces. Who the hell cares? What is, what is a shop called? Sparrows? Uh, where we went? The yeah. beer place? No, no. The comic- oh, Spiros. Spiros. Spiros Heroes. It's in Chatsworth, uh, the Lo- Chatsworth, Los Angeles, California. Um, Los Angeles is basically its own city state. I mean, again, that is a good solid hour 20 from where we're sitting right now on a good day. But uh, that's, yeah, it's out, it's out in the valley. Yeah, so if valley. you're out in that area or, or, you know, if that's a perfectly good driving distance for you, I, I suggest checking it out. They had a front room, which was mostly dollar, dollar comic bins, yeah. which I noticed, really started paying attention to after we had already been there for three, three hours. And he said, don't even do it. Don't even think about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's for another day. So if you're in that area or uh, feel like that's a reasonable drive, definitely worth the effort. Uh, go give it a look. Word up. That's all we got, right? All right, guys. We'll see you on the next one.